Everyone runs away from pain, dodging the truth it comes with. But you are done with limiting your greatness in the shackles of fear. You see fuel in the fire. You taste ripe fruit in real answers. You move to the drums with wild expression. Enter From Pain to Gain, the podcast about identifying pain so you can ultimately gain health and wealth. Because without identifying a mountain, how can you climb it? Here's your host, Ivan Alpha. Welcome back to From Pain to Gain. I'm Ivan, and this is Pastor Jerry Kuros, and he's going to be an awesome guest for us today. We have a very timely topic today, right? Why God allows bad things to happen. And uh, he has a great story. Uh, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely, Ivan. Mean, thank yeah. you. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. And honestly, I mean, what a great topic to talk about, right? Uh, pain that results from our game. So mm-hmm. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. It's a topic, right, of the entire podcast is to transform that pain that we want to run away from so fast into something that we could actually get something out of. Yes. So you ready to jump on in, bro? Let's go. Let's dive let's let's deep. Let's go, man. So I like to do it in a structure of the, the CAGE acronym. So mm-hmm. complacency, atrophy, guilt, and escape. So the complacency part, uh, just to kind of start us off, I'll talk to kind of the, what's perpetrated this, this belief system that God allows bad things to happen. And I think the media, even false witness churches, you know, there's some that are, are fake churches, I like to call them, right? That paint God is this legalistic jerk that just wants the worst for you. And it's just a total detour from what he actually is, right? And I, I got to thinking about this, this one article I read around how Jacob, uh, early on in the Bible, wrestled with God. Mm-hmm. And there's so much deep meaning in this, but I read in an article on a website, I think it was gizmodo.com, that was kind of making fun of it, like, oh, God just wanted to wrestle with this guy and broke his hip, but there's, if you meditate on it, it's a lot of meaning. There's, there's transition happening. They were crossing a river. Uh, you were wrestling with God, literally. Like, I think even his name is based on wrestling yeah. with God. <laughs> so, um, it also is a great analogy for how we live our lives, right? It's, it's natural to kind of, in transition, wrestle with God. So what, what sort of topics do you refer to? So on? when you talk about Jacob, uh, I love the story of Jacob and his transition from being a deceiver, right? Somebody that stole supposedly the bird, right? And then obviously we know that he goes there, God is blessing him, and then he's now at a place to return back home. And then he's way back, he's afraid of his brother Esau. So he starts sending his, his wives and his sons and gifts ahead of time. And then as you talk about, you know, he, they have an encounter right before he crosses where God, really, the angel of God wrestles with him. And the word name given to him is no longer Jacob, it's Israel. And it means the one that fought with God and overcome. So think about it. When you talk about growing pains, you think about the, the history that you're growing up with an identity that you are being a deceiver, that you're coming back home, you're unsure how they're going to receive you, but then you have an encounter with God, and you wrestle. And it's good to wrestle with God. Yeah. Because sometimes, even though in the physical in the physical aspect, he got, uh, displays his hip, and he's walking with a limp, that pain actually caused humility, 
that he, he recognizes, man, I need to depend on God because he's God. And even though I fought with him, he's fighting for my good. And he's got a plan for me that he's now given me a future, right? And so I love the story of Jacob as somebody that it was living in complacency. But at the same time, he's like, listen, I need to go. I need to grow. I need to mend relationships. And then there's a journey. There's a process. And from that pain came a lot of gain. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about, like, the wrestling aspect, um, the I just lost my point. I just freaking lost my point. <laughs> That's okay, That's okay. But there's so much meaning in that, right? Um, so, wrestling with God. And I guess to tie it back into why God allows bad things to happen, there's deeper meaning, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a personal experience? Oh, absolutely. So, I always thought growing up, I grew up Catholic. And to your point, I grew up that God was punishing us and he was kind of like me. But then I came to an encounter with God. And so just to tell you my journey, I used to play soccer in Mexico. Okay. But for whatever reasons, I came illegally to the United States and I struggled. I struggled uh, pursuing my dreams, right? And so in this long process of trying to become a professional player, I realized that, man, um, being illegal, it's very tough to even get hired. And so my wife got saved. And when she got saved, uh, she started saying, you know, uh, I met this guy, Jesus. And at first I thought he was, she was talking about a, a guy, like a <laughs> guy. And I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> yeah. and, and she was so full of love. And I can just sense that something changed in her. And I wanted that. I wanted what she had. Uh, I just didn't know how to ask for her. And I was looking for that love in all the wrong places. I was looking at drugs and women. And I started hanging out with grown friends, right? And so in these moments of, I, I call our lives as moments of peaks, that when we're in the mountaintops, but there's moments when we're in the valley at our lowest. So I hit the lowest. I felt like I have lost hope. I felt like, man, I'm stuck in this cycle where I'm illegal. I lost hope. I don't, I don't have any like dreams moving forward. And so I just kind of give up. And for the first time in my life, I heard a voice. I went into my, my, my bathroom to take a bath, and I was laying at the top. And I heard this voice that said, you know, life is meaningless. Just kill yourself. Mm -hmm. And for the first time, I heard this voice. It was very clear. It didn't came from me. And I considered, yeah, you know, what's the point of life? Mm. Uh, it, you know, I was pursuing happiness and I wasn't happy. So no matter what I tried, I couldn't go forward. So I was considering taking out my life when my wife noticed that something was wrong. So she started knocking on the door and she was like, Jerry, please let me in. And so she insisted to the point that I, she kind of sabotaged my plans. I had to get up, open the door, and she was like, what's going on? Yeah. I told her, hey, you know, I think, you know, you're happy. You got Jesus. You have experienced his love. I say, I, don't, I just don't see the point of living. And she says, you know, everything you're looking for, you can find it in Jesus. And I say, what can he do for me? He's dead. I had a crucifix. And I say, he's hanging on the cross. What can that dead man do for me? 
And she says, Jerry, I don't know where you read, but in my Bible says that, yes, he died for us, but he rose on the third day. And I was like, what? I've never <laughs> heard that before. Oh, my God. Well, no one has ever said that. No. And so I say, I don't know. What do I do? And she says, well, just tell him what's in your heart. And I say, okay, God, if you're real, show me that you're God, and I will serve you forever. And if not, don't even mess with me because I have I don't want nothing to do with you. Yeah. In that day, I felt like a light switch went on. I felt like there was this suppression, this darkness. In the moment that I say that to Jesus and accepted it in my heart, the light came. I felt like this demonic presence that was oppressing me just left the room. I felt tangibly the presence of God, the love of God. And when I come out of the bathroom, um, I've been here almost two years illegally. And I look at my phone, I had 11 missed calls, and it was a professional coach in Indiana. And he says, hey, Jerry, I heard about you. I don't know how he heard about me, but he says, I need a forward for my team. I need you to come and do tryouts. So I told my wife, you got answers quickly. I've been here <laughs> two years, and I haven't been able to sign in with the team because you know my situation. Well, we fast forward, we went. The next day, I did the tryouts, and I got my first professional contract wow. with Indiana Plus, and I and I was able to sign in. And I told my wife, "I want to go to your church, and I want to learn more about your God." You yeah. see, I didn't have a revelation that it was also my God. Yeah, sounds like you had a bunch of other fake gods, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I put myself in the throne. I thought I was God because I was trying to do my own thing, living for me. Yeah, you know, and. In this beautiful journey, I learned that, you know, we have many encounters throughout this beautiful journey where, where you know that it is God. And sometimes you feel like, why these bad things are happening? But actually, God allows these situations to happen that where the enemy comes in. And we can see that in the story of Job, right? right? right. So Job is a clear story that, Actually, God is the one that told the devil, hey, have you considered my son, Joe? He's faithful. He's righteous. He's like, well, obviously, he loves you because you provide for him, you protect, but remove your hand of protection. You see, and, the, and then God says, okay, I'll let you do it. So I believe there are situations just God, God, yes. No, just don't kill him. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so basically, we know the story. You know, uh, he lost 7,000 sheep. He lost camels. He lost his sons. I mean, that sounds pretty, pretty tragic. And it all happening. Like, as soon as one messenger comes and says, Master, you have lost this. As soon as he finished, the next one comes and the next one comes. And it's, it is that term that when it rains, it floods. Mm -hmm. I mean, just this. I can relate to that. And then what happened was that through all these, God said, hey, just don't kill him. And he says, well, even after all these, he was still worshiping God. And then in, through this, the devil says, well, let me afflict him in his body, and you'll see that he will curse you. Right? And then God said, okay, do it, but don't kill him. So, what happens? We, we heard the story of boils. We heard these awful, painful things from the, from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. Mm -hmm. And yet, you fast forward 37 chapters later, you realize that 
Yeah, he questioned it, but he never cursed God. Yes. Even his wife said to Job, like, hey, just curse God and die. <laughs> How great of a wife that you want glad to be like, hey, just curse and die. <laughs> but you know what? The beauty about it is that at the end of the 37 chapters, Job says, I was like a man that had a veil on my face. You know, in the, in the uh, Arabic culture, in that uh, Jewish culture, the women wear a veil. But it is what says all these bad things are happening. It removes the veil. Now I'm able to see God face to face. And I think that's what these encounters with God do. It gives you an option, an opportunity, whether you get offended with God or you allow God to work through your pain and get you to the other side where you grow out and you come out more looking like Jesus. Yeah. And it sounds like it's pretty, it's pretty intense, which brings me back to the, you know, if you're hot or cold, just don't be lukewarm because I'll spit you from my mouth, right? Mm -hmm. But living like that is very, it's not for the typical person. But it is a great way to get close to God mm -hmm. because that intensity is actually what he prefers. Um, it actually makes me think of a marathon, uh, what is it, uh, yeah, a triathlon and even a uh, marathon. I did. Uh, the marathon example is it's hard, it's painful, it hurts, mm -hmm. your body is aching, but at the end of it, you're like, yes, I did it. Even if you don't make it entirely, you're like, I at least made it 18 miles. <laughs> if zombies attack, I, I'm 18 miles ahead of the population. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but I think there's also the aspect that earlier in when you were talking about your story, there's also things that we allow to happen, right? The bad things are not always just God. Correct. Uh, you decided I'm going to, you know, go after women or drugs. Yeah. Similarly, I've had addictions. I've worked with myself. So there's also bad things we just kind of welcome in, right? Mm -hmm. And the danger in, as you know, when you're an open vessel, it's just yeah. it's kind of like filling a base with yeah. just pure full of sugar. You're going to get the reap the rewards of the sugar, especially if it's in your body. If the base is your body, your, your skin is going to act out. Your stomach is going to go out. All these things are going to act out. So there's consequences to that, too. So I'm glad you brought that up. And also wanted to talk about that. I finally remembered my point from earlier. <laughs> okay. The concept of uh, future uh, tripping, future tripping. So this is something I've done a lot and it made, made me think of it when you talk about Jacob. Mm -hmm. Kind of getting ahead of the issues, right? He sent his servants out. He didn't even have the courage to go himself, Correct. which we as external figures could see that. could be like, I would totally walk up to my brother. I'll be fine. <laughs> but... In reality, we would not. That's right. our humanity, right? Yeah. Like we try to self-preserve it. I'm gonna send. And he started actually sending the oldest first, <laughs> <laughs> and then like he actually sent. If you look at the uh, the, the story of the Bible, uh, what's his name, Benjamin? He sent him last, you know, mm -hmm. because he was like his beloved. And yeah. So we tend to like protect the, the things that we love. The and, and so he sends the older one first. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, future tripping, be careful with that just as a general principle, right? Because you could be missing out on great things if you're just trying to live your way, kind of detouring or sending other people instead of yourself to do things, to get, to confront the issue, whether it's your issue or somebody else's. Mm -hmm. uh, we got to have the courage to live hot for God, right? 
or you can hunt for yourself if you're not ready to accept God yourself. Yeah. Um, atrophy. So the cause of atrophy and, and thinking God allows bad things to happen is, um, I think, one of the examples is uh, in atrophy is in, in our society. It's so easy to forget that as a sovereign God, he's not involved in necessarily the decisions day to day, right? Like if the U.S. was the sovereign nation, I wouldn't call President Joe Biden and say, hey, how come you haven't fixed this housing issue today, right now? You know, it's, it's not really realistic to expect that. And in the same way, uh, God is kind of at the upper level and he's making a lot of moves. Don't get me wrong. He's... Uh, the Christian faith is a lot of uh, top humanitarian relief organizations started by faith-based organizations, especially Christians. But to expect that all the time is kind of unrealistic. So what are your thoughts on that? I think that for me, um, the difference between any other religions and Christianity is that other religions is, is by the things I need to do to gain access to God. Okay. versus with Christianity, it's all by grace. So the, the word says that I can talk to God. And like we were talking about, it, it's not like a religious prayer. It's like really like, God, I need help. I need wisdom. And then I, I believe he's a loving father that he wants to speak with us. And the best way to know his will is the word. And so when we go to the word, like we can have personal direct access with God any moment, any time, any situation, and he says, sit for me, and you will find me. I, I love your one of your uh, frames that you have here that says, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open. And I mean, you don't get that from the president, but you get that from God. And God yeah. wants his children, uh, when they come to God, and they say, hey, Dad, I need help. As yeah. a loving father. I mean, I have two beautiful kids, and when they come, and they are like sincere in their heart. You know, because they also, you know, when they come with other alternative motives. Yeah, yeah. But when they come sincere, my first reaction is to, yes, I love you. And I'm going to give you what you're asking for. You're probably going to drop everything. <laughs> you do. <laughs> you do. Because as a, as a dad, you have that extra love and purpose that it's no longer you. Yeah. And you're, you're doing life for that as well. Yeah. Cool, brother. So, atrophy, let me just tell you with atrophy, oh, yeah. I was just thinking about that. Um, you know, our bodies can get atrophy, mm-hmm. right? Because whenever we, uh, we stop moving, whenever we stop growing, uh, we lose the gift. So, for example, if God is giving you two wonderful legs, but we never work out, your body start tightening, oh, yeah. you know, and you don't get as much. So, I used to be an athlete, right? So, whenever, like, you have uh, an injury mm-hmm. and you don't do the physical therapy, your body will actually heal, but it will heal in the wrong place. So you have to actually break down the muscles to be able to get back to full range or even a better place than you were before. So I think what it does to us atrophy is really sin. Sin is what gets us in problems. It gets us stuck. Sometimes sins is what blocks our communication with God. Yeah. And I, I can tell you a story that I had, for example, uh, when I was playing soccer, I became complacent because you're like, man, I made it, right? So now I'm playing professionally in America, and there's always this battle because I think, like, just the fact that I went to church, that did not make me a Christian. 
uh, it's a personal relationship with Christ. So my struggle was that as I was trying to learn this new faith, there's also the devil. And the devil is not going to just sit there like, yeah, you can have Jerry, you know, like yes. God, yes. So he will come in and tell me. And because I didn't surround myself, I didn't have accountability. I didn't have other men of God that was like on top of me. I easily give in to the temptations. And so I was kind of living a double life, like you were saying. And so what happened was I had a dream. And in my dream, I never heard God before. But in the dream, God appeared to me. He says, confess your sins to your wife. I will be with you. She will forgive you and I will use you. And the first thing I said was, get behind me, Satan. I am not going to tell my wife none of my sins. Yeah. Then I realized, man, maybe this is not Satan. Maybe this is God. <laughs> That's embarrassing. Right? It is so embarrassing yeah. because not that I got caught, but God was convicting me, saying, I, I'm going to be with you. I want to use you. But if you have sin and it's unconfessed sin, I cannot do that. Yeah. And so I came to the point that two, fast forward two months later, that's how long it took me. I didn't even tell my wife. And one time we were driving up north to see family. And I'm in the car. My wife is reading her Bible. And we're listening to worship songs. And all of a sudden, I, I hear the nudge from the Holy <laughs> Spirit. Like, hey, yeah, remember the dream? <laughs> Like, you need to tell her. Yeah. And I said, God, we're about to see yeah, my yeah. wife's family for Christmas. <laughs> like, this is not a good time. But you know what? I find out that atrophy, if I would have kept silent, I would have get stuck. I never would have grown. I never would have moved forward. But you have to break through the pain. So I told my wife, you know what? God is speaking to me. She's, my wife is like, really? What is God telling you? Please let me know. I want to hear it. She thinks I'm going to tell her something super yeah, spiritual yeah. and deep. Yeah. And I said, well, he came to me in a dream. He told me to confess my sins to you, that he will be with me, that you will forgive me and he will use me. And she says, well, what sins? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> and it was literally very painful for me to yeah. say this because... I was literally breaking my wife's heart as I was confessing right. it, but I knew it was necessary. Yeah. And to be honest, Ivan, I feel like when we become honest with ourselves and with God, it's like we're breaking the ties that we have with sin and Satan. And, and it was like sin was coming out of me, like darkness uh, yeah. was just going out. And I could, for the first time in my life, I remember being able to raise my hands up and worship God. It's a beautiful feeling. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I was thinking when, when we were talking about atrophy. I think that there is a physical atrophy uh, or emotions play a big part. We need healing from our hurts that we've been hurt. All of us have been hurt emotionally. Yeah. There's physical, there's emotional, and then there's spiritual atrophy. And so yeah. I think we're th uh, three people, the three parts of a person, right? So we're a spirit. Or, or soul, which is our emotions and our body. So as we get healed in all of them, then we become fully alive. So that's what I think God wants for us. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how you tied it back in to uh, Jacob? Because mm -hmm. it, essentially you were also future tripping, right? You didn't want to tell your wife because you're an embarrassment. I'm sure a, a bunch of other kind of thoughts rolled up in your head about what could happen. Oh. Um, but isn't it interesting? I think it, particularly a godly woman, 
it's it's tense in the middle middle of it. But I'm sure your wife could attest to this. It, the the relationship unity got even better after that, right? Well, at the beginning, it wasn't like that. She wanted to run. She wanted to, because it was so painful when I confessed this to her. Yeah. She wanted to run. But then, what I did not know is that as God was working in me, he was also working in her. Oh, yeah. So what God showed her is that she had put me in the place of God. Oh. And so her happiness was dependent upon me, which I'm her third husband. And so for her to have put me in that place, God was saying, no, 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 um, you cannot have a man in my place. That's me. Yeah. And so she had to submit that to God. Uh, we seek counseling and help in our church. Our pastors were able to meet with us. <laughs> and they asked my wife this question, do you still love here? And my wife said, yes. And she said, and he says, well, if you still love Jerry, I believe there's hope for you guys. And I'm going to tell you that in CC, in fact, it was very hard. And that's a reality with life, that whenever we break trust, whenever we commit these kind of sins, it's not overnight. Right. And it's a process of healing. It's very painful because it's like an onion. You have to almost peel all the layers so that you can get to the root cause. Yeah. And once you find out the root cause, in this case, my wife had put me in the throne in place of God. I remember God did amazing work in her heart. And once she realized, like, no, I need to put Jesus at the center, not, not Jerry. One day she comes to me and she says, hey, Jerry, I just want to let you know that I release you from the responsibility of making me happy. Because only God can. And I almost want to drop down on the floor. I almost wanted to build an altar and worship God. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. And you know what? My wife, yes, is a godly woman uh, through help. And, and she finding her, her, her foundation, her rock in Jesus. Yeah. Help her forgive me. Because yeah. you cannot forgive like that without any help from God. Oh, you yeah, need to have God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's a supernatural love. Right, and so I was able to receive God's healing through her, that only God can do through her, as she was willing to forgive me. Yeah. And so, you know, long story short, fast forward, now I'm even a pastor and a church, and I didn't even dream of yeah. that one day I'd be a pastor. But you know what? I just wanted more. I wanted to find out. Okay, God, you said that you will use me. So I started aligning myself more towards that. And so I felt in a way, almost like Paul, that when you're on a horse, you know, that was kind of my attitude. I was like, listen, I, I don't know about Christianity. I kind of wanted to debunk it in my mind. And then I had an encounter with God, almost like when Paul got knocked off the horse. So for me, this was my encounter with Jesus when he appeared to me in a dream and talked to me. It's like Paul saying, who are you? And he yeah. says, I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting, right? Yeah. And so his eyes were closed. Three days later, he regains sight, and then he gets baptized. Mm -hmm. And now he becomes on fire for God. He becomes this radical. Yeah. And that was kind of my story, because when I, uh, when I was playing soccer, I realized, I say, if I continue on this path, I don't have the friends. I don't have the structure. I have to do something radical. Mm -hmm. 
so that I can keep living for God. And so I told my wife, I need to stop. I need to stop playing soccer. One of the pastors actually asked me, says, Jerry, you have another year of a contract. What are you going to do different? You need to have accountability. You need to be calling your wife. You need to be reading books. You need to be in small groups. And I was like, I was thinking, this pastor is crazy. How am I going to do? He did a list. My, he asked my wife to come up with a list of things that she wanted to see different than me. She came up with like 10 things. It's like, no. Jerry is a professional deceiver. He's a professional liar. He needs more accountability. So he did like a two-page <laughs> Things that I needed to do, and honestly, in all honesty, that's exactly what I needed. Yeah. Now, like I say, I had a decision. He says, if you have to choose soccer or your wife, I really, it really hurt because soccer is everything I, it was like my dream. It was like my identity was tied yeah. up to that. From what age did you start that? I started being a professional at 15. Wow. <laughs> so, so for me, I saw myself always as a soccer player. So to me, when you ask me choose between your wife or soccer, I choose my wife. And I'm glad I did. Uh, later, I find out a, a week and a half later, I turned my ligaments and I was out of the contract because I was in the middle of the seasons and my ligaments got torn oh, wow. super bad. And I was thinking, I am glad I chose my wife. Yeah. <laughs> And in this process, now I got almost like a Jacob, a, a broken knee, and I was limping. Oh. It was very painful. I didn't have insurance because I was a contractor, so the team didn't want to assume the surgery. Yeah. And honestly, I'm without a job, but thank God I chose my wife, but I got a broken knee. And I told my wife, I need to look for, for some way, somewhere to work. She says, what do you want to do? And I say, I want to be closer to Jesus. And so I went to the church, which is Victory Church. And I just went and knocked on the door. They open it. They say, can we help you? And I say, yes, uh, I'm looking to see if you guys have any jobs. And they say, well, what do you do? And I say, I'm a professional soccer player. <laughs> say, well, we got nothing like that here, but we have a janitorial opening. And they were willing to pay $7.50 an hour, which it was minimum wage. But I heard God says, yes, take it. So what I did is I said yes without even knowing, like, the hours or everything. It was every day, except for Sundays, from 10 p.m. to 8 in the morning. Oh, my. It was a crazy shift. I say, God, man, you got to be kidding me. I never, like, my life is about to switch. But yeah. you know what, Ivan? As I was cleaning the church, I felt that's exactly what God knew I needed. It wasn't many people. It was me in his house. I felt as I was cleaning the house of God, God started doing a cleansing job in my mind, in my emotions. And so for the first time in my life, I wasn't hanging out in the clubs. I, I wasn't hanging out with wrong friends. I started making new friends mm -hmm. who were helping me get connected with God. Mm -hmm. And so one of the beautiful things, this is, this is going to take me how I am. I used to have a Walkman, <laughs> which is a tape. Yeah. You guys don't know that. You probably grew up with iPods. <laughs> I had a tape player, and I used to listen uh, just to uh, messages from Pastor Dennis, John Bebeer, John Maxwell. 
And as I was getting the word of God inside of me, it's almost like Romans 12, 1 that says, 1 and 2. It says, renew your mind with the power of the word, right? And present your body as a living sacrifice. So literally, as I was cleaning, let's say a toilet, one time I was complaining because I was like, God, I'm an ex-pro soccer player. What am I doing here cleaning the toilet? And God stopped me. He said, Jerry, if you cannot clean a toilet, I cannot use you. Yeah. And I said, God, I'm going to clean this toilet <laughs> the best I can. Yeah. And you switched. I switched quickly. I was like, I want you to use me. <laughs> and you know what? I thank God for that beautiful season. It was one of the most fulfilling jobs I ever had. I was so happy. I started to just receive the love of God and the, yeah. the healing and freedom that I needed. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, that, that was painful. But you know what? I, in the moment, you almost don't even perceive it because you're just focusing on the pain. Yeah. But if you're able to just ask God to give you a better perspective, you see, like, man, this is for my good. Yeah. God is actually working out things for my good. Yeah. It's uh, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is uh, make sure your weights are evenly balanced. It basically ties into if you're weighing a little. My mom used to work at a factory that made rubber grommets. Mm-hmm. So she actually literally had to weigh, you know, 100 grommets at a time, rubber, and it had to be to the ounce, how much they were going to ship. And we don't think about that, you know, it's a small toilet, what does it mean? A rubber grommet, what does it mean? But to God, it actually means a lot. Mm-hmm. Because to whom you give little, much is given yes. later down the line, right? And I think that's also a great testimony for my life, like, I tried my best to manage a little bit a well to get to the bigger stuff. And I'm still managing that. I've even done bad on the, the managing the bigger stuff. But that's another story entirely. <laughs> but it God actually like even a father, like mm-hmm. you see your kid playing with something, right? Um, yeah. and maybe it's the the cheapest toy they ever got from you versus the most expensive one. But to, for you seeing them enjoy that to the maximum exposure like it's like it's it's just a little ounce of a toy but it means so much yes what i'm saying them do and that's how god works too so to draw that out into the uh, final portion how do people escape this thought process of oh god just allows bad things to happen okay so in my in my opinion is changing your perspective right um just like like we were talking about Job, it took him 37 chapters for him to realize, like, God, I want the veil removed. I want to see you eye to eye. And even as we were talking about Paul being knocked off and being able to be blind, he was blind for three days until Ananias comes, lay hands on him, and the scales, they say that they were like, almost like fishing scales fell off his eyes. And he's like, my gosh, I, I want to get baptized. I want to be on fire, right? So, to break all these uh, empathy and complacency, you you almost want to be hungry to grow in God. And you have to be intentional because it's not just going to happen that you're a great husband or a great leader or a great whatever by just uh, sitting on your high chair, right? You have to be intentional. You have to, I always say, eagles fly with eagles. So, for example, when I wanted to become a professional soccer player, number one, I was 15 years old. 
my dad says, do you want to do this for real? And I say, yes. So he says, you're not going to achieve this hanging out with the same kids you play. I'm going to take you to older kids who are going to beat you up. <laughs> and literally, in the neighborhood in El Barrio, what we call the, the hood, right, right. <laughs> he took me there literally every week. I came back with a broken nose, you know, wow. cuts everywhere. But I didn't, I didn't quit. I just keep. And so that exposure got me to be better. So by the time I was able to play with the kids my age, yeah. I was, well, I was at another level. Yeah. And I always say eagles fly with eagles. So if you as a Christian want to hang out with the eagles, the eagles doesn't hang out with the crows, yeah. you know? They don't hang out with other birds like parrots that they just talk about it. If you want to be great, you want to hang out with people who are great or they have those characteristics that you want in your life. For example, I have a, a pastor who I admire so much. And he's probably not even as recognized as he should be. His name is Bobby Bolton. He worked in Victory for many, many, many years. He's one of the pillars in the church. But he just recently retired. But I saw a man that it was always honest, sacrificial, and sincere. He loved God. He loved his wife. He loved the ministry. And you know what? When I struggle with pornography or loss, I, I told him, I said, I came to him and I said, hey, I, I don't seem to break free of this. And I, and I know you've been walking in, in victory. You've been walking in holiness. Can you walk alongside with me for a season until I want to be like you? Then I get to that point. And he says, Jerry, yes. I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Jesus. But I'm going to lock arms with you. And I'm going to walk with you this season until you start achieving. And you see, it's all about momentum, right? It's not about the big thing. I always see having this victory in the small steps. Every small decision that we make is like taking a, a journey of a thousand miles. You start with one step making a good decision after the next. And the next thing you know, now you got momentum. Yeah. And now you're moving in the direction that you want to go. And so I always say, in, as we're closing this, is that you have to start with your aim in mind. Meaning, what kind of person do you want to be? And what kind of man do you want people to know as your legacy, right? Mm -hmm. What people, what do you want people to say at your funeral? And so for me, I want people to say that he was a great husband, he was a good, good father, that I love God. And, you know, but you have to define that for yourself. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people pursue riches, a lot of people pursue fame or being influential. But at the end of the day, is that who you want to be? Is that how you want people to remember you? Yeah. And, you know, as a pastor, I get an opportunity to do quite a bit of funerals. And sometimes it's a reminder. It's a, like a sovereign awakening. Like sometimes I feel like we lose focus of what we should really be pursuing, which is a relationship with God and then loving others. Um, and I'm going to tell you this because I think this is going to encourage all your audience on these. I'm 43 years old. Last year, I did a beautiful program. It's called Radical Mentoring. And Pastor Bobby, the pastor that I told you he was my spiritual father, he and I got an opportunity to meet a man for a whole year. And we were reading one book a month. So if you think reading books, try to do one a month on top of everything else that you're juggling, work, ministry, 
kids. I have a special needs daughter, which adds another level of it. And leading amen. I did the same thing that he did with me. It's like, hey, let's lock arms as your mentor. I'm going to point you to Jesus and I'm going to challenge you to grow, right? And it did something beautiful because the first six months, I noticed that the guys going through it, they were just going through the emotions. But at the middle of it, when it got really tough, we had to sit down with them. It says like, hey, guys, this is for your good. And you have to be either in or you're out, but you cannot be in the middle. Like, you're committed or not. The guys made a decision to be committed. The next six months, they were on fire. I saw their families being transformed, their work being impacted by their influence. And in the last chapter, there was a book called Being on Purpose. And uh, it asked you this question, what is your purpose? For the first time in my life, I sit down and I say, God, I, I'm a pastor, but I don't think I ever ask you, what is my purpose? What did you create it for? And so I told my wife, I said, I'm going to take some time to spend with God. And in my backyard, I went, and I kid you not, I spent probably five to six hours sitting in the backyard, almost like in the Bible when you hear prophets that go out in the wilderness and they're just hearing from God. That's kind of the picture that I got. My wife probably thinking, is this a midlife crisis? What's going on? <laughs> anyway, I'm sitting there and I honestly said, God, I am not going to move my behind from this chair until you tell me what is my purpose. And like, I honestly put in on God, like, I need to hear from you because I don't want to live one more moment, one more day without me finding out my purpose. It is going to sound weird, but he didn't speak nothing. And it's some of the most painful situations to be when you're just sitting, waiting on the Lord. I have a scripture that says here, Psalms 46.10, be still and know that I am God. We want to know God. We live in a society that we're like, come on, God, tell me what I need to do. McDonald's society. McDonald's society. God is saying, no, wait, because in the waiting, I'm doing something. And so I'm sitting there, and at the last hour, probably the last 10 minutes, I hear this small voice through my own voice, but I know that it wasn't me. It was he speaking to me. He says, Jerry, I created you to be a minister of reconciliation, meaning you're going to help people get reconciled with me first and then with one another. And I, I was so happy because I was like, this makes a lot of sense. Listen, I got opportunities to maybe do other things outside of being a pastor, but I find out that with the purpose that I've been given, then the title of a pastor, it just gets complimented because it's not because I'm a pastor that I am fulfilling my purpose. If anything, it's because this purpose that God has given me, pastor allows me to do what God created me to do, which is reconciling people to God and with one another. And so I would say, if you haven't taken an opportunity, I'm going to encourage you guys to take a moment and ask God and see it's, you know, and, and God wants to reveal himself to you and be able to talk to you like you talk to a friend. So I'm going to encourage you to do that uh, and refuse, refuse to live in complacency and apathy and atrophy as well and live your life on purpose. Amen to that, brother. Man, you mentioned so many talking points in the last bit. <laughs> Man, uh, there's two I wanted to touch on before I'll yeah. wrap up my escape suggestion. 
how do you address somebody that's kind of in the downward spiral and kind of that's hardening their heart to change? So I will say that you can lead a horse to the water, right? But you cannot make him drink. Mm-hmm. I grew up on a farm and my grandfather had horses. And there were times that I needed to bring the horse to drink some water. But whenever that horse did not want to drink, you cannot make them drink. So first thing is realize, is this the life that I want to live, right? Because some people, just because, let's say, an alcoholic or somebody that's using uh, abusing substances like drugs, if they're not willing to get free, you can pour all the resources, you can bring the best doctors and teams, but it has to make a decision in your heart to say, I need help. If that's you, if you've been living in a life that you're like, hey, I know about God, but I don't want to give this up. God is a gentleman, and he loves you so much to the point that he's going to say, if that's the path that you want, the path that leads to destruction, you have a choice, but you have to make that choice. God in his sovereignty cannot force anybody to choose that. Uh, he says, choose life. I put it right before you. And you know, the way of life is a narrow gate, and few find it. But the way of destruction is huge, and many people are getting lost. So you have to make a decision. Do I want to live this life of mediocrity? Do I want to be a hypocrite, that I'm just playing church? Or do I want to get on fire with God and I want the fullness of his life, the blessings to be in my life, to be in everything that I do. And so I would say, first, you have to repent. Repent, because most people now don't talk about repentance. They talk about behavior modification, which is, well, maybe I'm going to stop doing things. But really, in your heart, you never really repented. And so you have to come to the realization, is God good enough for you? Because if God is not good enough for you, then Satan's going to come alongside and says, hey, look, this looks pretty good. And you're just going to fall for it. So if you want to escape, God is always giving you a way of escape. He says, but you have to look for it. Yeah. Beautiful, brother. Man, that was good. Uh, and that ties in perfectly to kind of the conclusion of the, my suggestion for the escape part. It's basically to take ownership. Either what you're doing, if you're in the downward spiral, if you want to stay in the downward spiral, you're right at the bottom and you know it, and you just want to stay there anyways. That's your decision. But there's also an ownership of realizing there's just bad people in the world, and they want to stay down in the bad sections, right? They want to keep on trying to control you through media. They want to control you through the way you eat your food, um, the environments you're around. I know something that really hurts me because of, I guess, my level of where I've come is there's somebody I know that's kind of works in an active environment where women just kind of dress skimpily and work and the business. And I'm like, if I were you, I would prefer to go work a minimum wage job somewhere else just to not be around that, just to be caught up in this perpetual cycle of environment that leads to sin. But there's a, a decision, like you said, that person has to make. Correct. This is not for me. This is, my family's more important than having this 
whatever it is, this job or whatever. And so I encourage you, like you just mentioned, and even I need to uh, accept this too. Anything that doesn't basically suffocate the environment of goodness in your heart, you need to really just accept good environments and yeah. accept good people around you, of the eagles, right? Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be professional soccer eagles, right? <laughs> no. Just guys you hang out with that are living successful uh, marriages yes. and giving you advice on how to live that out. When you're having trouble with your marriage, being able to be able to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think getting a lot of return on, off of that alone even leading up to marriage, uh, I had a lot of questions about guys that weren't married successfully for 10 plus years. They were able to talk to me about struggles and valleys and mountains. So seeking that wise counsel is also a great way to escape this, this thought process of, oh, God is bad. He has everything bad for me. Yeah. So in conclusion, it's easy to kind of just put the blame on others. And there, there is some factual stuff around that. I'm not going to lie. Of, there were greedy people uh, that you could blame like racial issues upon, but you have to make a decision to do something about it now, right? But blaming something that somebody did 200 years ago, blame is only going to take you so far. And to wrap up on how God isn't a bad dude, it's a good BFF of ours. <laughs> I'll draw it back to that first point of uh, one of the first points that God has led and started one of the, or probably the top 10 uh, humanitarian relief companies, organizations that are actively on the field. I think the Red Cross even has 97 million volunteers. So God has his hand in the mix. He's coming after every one of his children. It's all up to you on how you want to receive that, or if you want to kind of accept what other people are telling you, like the bad churches, What's that one? Westboro Baptist Church. That is all about hatred and just skewing this hatred. That is not God's personality. God is about, I can't wait to help you. Just, yeah. Just come. We have a loving God. Yeah. yeah. And I think the devil tries to make a bad image, bad PR of yeah. God, right? Exactly. Like he's trying to smear off almost like a political campaign, right? Yeah. God is the cause of all your issues. In reality, once you come to know the truth, the truth will set you free. And yes, there's plenty of bad churches. There's plenty of bad people that misrepresent God. But there's also plenty of good people. So I would say it's almost like a restaurant. If you go to a restaurant and you happen to have a really bad experience at the restaurant, well, you're not going to stop eating food just because you had a very bad <laughs> experience, right? You're going to find a place to feed yourself. Yeah. And I, I will say that our church is perfect because there's not a perfect church because we're still people. And people still broken. We're still in, in a process of getting more like Christ. And there's not going to be perfect church because the moment you go to it, you're going to ruin it. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm actually perfect. Very, I don't know. In Christ, in Christ, yes, in Christ, we're perfect. And, and you know what? It's crazy. There's a scripture that says that in Christ, right now, we're sitting in heavenly places, and it's this beautiful reality that we're here in person and we're in a journey of being more like Christ. But the moment that we're going to stop sinning is the moment that we die, because sin is always going to be there until the moment that we die. But you know what? The reality is that we have power in Jesus to overcome sin, 
if you're a son and a daughter of God. If you're not a son or a daughter, Satan, he's he's the he's the prince of this world. He's got power over people. That's what people unknowingly are doing his will. They're hating and they're doing all these things because they don't know that they're lost. People that they're lost, they know something is wrong. And if you're at that place that you're like, man, I need to make a decision. It's almost like I was like when you were talking about making a change and taking responsibility. You can blame, oh, well, there's bad food out there, and it's full of sugar, and it's full of carbs, and now I'm overweight, and you're pointing fingers to everybody. Or you stop blaming others. You take responsibility of your actions and what you put in your mouth, and you say, you know what, I'm going to be, instead of reactive, I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to get up from this chair or this couch. I'm going to choose to exercise. I'm going to choose to look for nutritionists. I'm going to go to whole foods. I'm going to choose what I'm putting in my mouth. And so when you decided to take ownership, you take ownership of your life and you start being the one that is in charge of your destiny Yeah. versus just going through, through the rift or being one of the bunches, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just to kind of detour for one second, I read a, uh, I heard from a, Somebody that statistically, if you don't have a father, uh, you're a majority percentage more than likely not going to accept God in your life. And what made me think of that is when you said the devil has this PR campaign mm-hmm. against God. And what is he dismantling right now, right? It's the family. Yeah. Starting with the father. That's right. So every father he could take out of a household, and we see it a lot now. That's... Uh, basically making atheists, right? So you're right. He's making this PR campaign that is, um, let's be honest, is wildly successful. It's getting a lot of families just divided. Uh, people don't even know their identities, uh, much less their identity in Christ, because they don't have a father, they don't have a, a mother, maybe. It could be all of, the, all of the above. I've even come to accept that in my childhood, you know, that I had abandonment issues. Yeah. Uh, my father, to some degree, uh, wasn't emotionally there. Uh, and my next kind of makeshift father was my brother, mm-hmm. but he was working through his own thing. And so I got abandonment, perceived abandonment, because I, of course, now that I've gone through therapy and stuff, I know that they, they didn't just leave emotionally or physically because they just wanted to annoy me or piss me off or whatever. <laughs> it's because they were working through their own stuff. Yeah. But that own that. Other stuff, like addiction, for example, is also perpetrated by the enemy. So that's another detour entirely, but it ties into how we could see God as a bad person, but in reality, it could be a part also of the PR campaign. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up, brother? Well, no, I just want to thank you and the opportunity to be here with your audience and just encouraging you that uh, God has good plans for your life. And thank you guys for allowing us this time to talk about God and how we can encourage one another. I hope uh, that if one thing just inspire you to take responsibility to maybe pursue God or wanting to find out more, I want to make myself available to you as a pastor in Victory. Uh, I'm the Connections Pastor. My email is jquiroc at victoryatl.com. You'll probably put it on, on your screen here, but yeah. I'll be 
I'm more than happy to talk to you guys if you have more questions. Maybe you're interested about what is this Christian faith? What is this uh, that you're telling me a loving God, a loving Father? I don't grow up with that. I want to know more. Listen, I think uh, God has such a great plans for you and such opportunity to have a relationship with you. And, and he wants you to become a son and a daughter. And what a great opportunity for us to talk to you about him. And if you want to be, be found, uh, I was lost and I had to make a decision like, God, I need help. And if that's you, uh, we're here for you. So just reach out, let us know, and we'll be happy to talk to you and pray with you. Yeah, it could help be your GPS to God. Google Maps. That's right. I point you. I point you to the right direction. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Bro, we killed it, man. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll see you all later. Bye. Episode sponsored by Commonwalk, a real estate company dedicated to affordable housing investment. To learn more, visit commonwalk.com.